Well, good morning. You guys can do better than that. Good morning. Amen. Amen. I, I just love gathering together. Uh, worship just does something in my heart and my soul, and, and I just know the power of God's presence is here. Uh, welcome to Vertical Life Church. I'm Joey. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you that are new, or maybe you, you took some time off and are back with us, just want to say welcome, and uh, I'm excited that you're here because we've been going through a series now over the last five weeks called The Wind, all about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God is, is what God uses to cultivate and draw us in deeper into a relationship with him, beginning at trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so uh, I pray and I hope that today you have an encounter with God that maybe you have not had before. And I know it's possible because he is here. We have a philosophy at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God. So you matter. Your story matters. It doesn't matter the, what trials or tribulations or brokenness you have in your life. God is aware of every second, every breath, every moment. And he desires to draw you into his heart and help you to understand that you matter to him, that you are deeply loved, and you have a great purpose for your life. And so part of what we've been studying through this series is seeing part of what that purpose is, God's desire to work in us and through us through his Holy Spirit. So just to recap, in case you've not been with us or maybe you've been gone, I know some of you were asking, are these messages online? They are. You can go to our website, www.vlchurch.tv forward slash messages online and click on the, the wind logo. It looks something like that. And uh, you can catch up with the messages that you've missed to um, kind of see where we've been, what we've been discussing and what God has been doing. But uh, to recap, just week one, we discovered that God's Holy Spirit, He is God's connective force. He connects us to the heart of God. Week two was that God, the Holy Spirit, is God's source of power. All the miraculous things that God does, every miraculous thing Jesus did, was in and through the Holy Spirit. Week three, we discovered that the Holy Spirit is God's agent and element of baptism. Not only does he baptize us into Christ when we're saved, when we begin a relationship with Christ, but Christ baptizes us into the Holy Spirit when we receive the power to become his witnesses. And then last week, we, we began talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is God's, both God's gift and the giver of gifts. That when we become a Christian, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized into the Holy Spirit, he begins to manifest in our lives through spiritual gifts, supernatural endowments that God gives not only to help us experience our faith, to experience his heart for us, to, to help us get closer to him, but also so that through us, others can be drawn in to his heart. That the reason why the church receives spiritual gifts is so that the church can be built, it can be strengthened, and we can be, can be filled with the love of God. And the reason why, really, we're studying the Holy Spirit is because Jesus said something very important. We, we've said this every week. He said before he left, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said that it is best that I leave so the Spirit can come. Now, if the Savior, the Son of God, says this, you know this has to be very important, that there is a significant reason, a very important reason why that Jesus would say this about the Holy Spirit. 
But also Jesus said about the Spirit when he said the Spirit is going to come. In John 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, When the Spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The Spirit of God is not only instrumental in our salvation or instrumental in the fact that He is what cultivates our relationship with God, that He endows us with supernatural power when we are baptized into Him, but He leads us into the truth. He is our primary teacher. Paul in the book of Corinthians says that all things spiritual are spiritually discerned. Without the Holy Spirit, the Bible will not even make sense to you that it requires the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to reveal Scripture to us. And what I also find interesting is Jesus said the Spirit will tell us the future. Have you ever wondered what your next step should be in a given situation? Like you have a couple of options, and you're like, man, what should I do? Or, or maybe you're just in a really weird time of life, and you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I, I don't know what, what, what God wants me to do. I don't know maybe if, if, if this occurs in my life, what, what's gonna unfold. It is the Spirit's job to lead you into truth, to reveal the future, to reveal the next steps, to keep you on the path that God has laid out before you. His role in our lives, our relationship with him, is the most vital role we have on this side of heaven. Even to the point, Paul in Galatians 5.16 said, if we let him guide our lives, if we follow the spirit, if we live in or walk in the spirit, we will not even sin. We will not give in to the desires of our flesh because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us. He leads us. He sustains us. He gives us the strength to live a holy life and to live a God-glorifying life. And God deserves glory with our lives. He gave his life for us on the cross. He forgave our sins without us having to do anything to earn it. He deserves our glory, our thankfulness. He deserves our praise. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit leads us to live a God-glorifying life is through what we discussed last week in giving the spiritual gifts to believers. We know from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read that whole chapter last week. We kind of dissected some of the things that Paul was speaking about. We know that when the Spirit comes upon us, he endows us with power and each of us are given at least one gift. One spiritual gift, at least one. But it's my experience that many are given multiple gifts. I mean, if you think about what it takes to be a leader in the church, I mean, we'll just use being a pastor for an example. Just to be a pastor, you need at least the gift of teaching. That's required in the Bible. Paul says if you're going to be an overseer, you got to be able to teach. So you at least need teaching. But there's a gift of leadership, there's, there's gifts of service, being able to serve. There are multiple gifts at work just to occupy the role of pastor. And I just see these things evident in my life because I'm just going to be honest with you, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit giving me these gifts, I, I wouldn't be standing here. I mean, before I became a pastor, I was petrified of public speaking. You weren't going to get me on a stage talking to anybody for no amount of money. It would, it would not matter. God cultivated this in my heart. And for whatever reason, no matter what job I've ever worked, for some reason, I've always worked up into some form of leadership. 
And I'm not saying that to brag about myself. It's just what God has done in my life. And I'm telling you, for someone who has historically wrestled with insecurity, it makes no sense that I'm standing on this stage. It makes no sense. But it is the Holy Spirit, and with him it makes perfect sense because it's his power. It's his work in me. So not only have I experienced these gifts, but I've also experienced multiple gifts other than these particular ones of leadership, teaching, and service. I've experienced the gift of healing, praying for the sick and seeing people healed. I've received prophetic words of knowledge where I've been given information about someone I didn't know previously. There have been ways the Spirit has worked in my life that I never thought possible so that I could counsel and minister to someone else to encourage and to strengthen them. And I say all of that, uh, again, not to boast in myself because I am nothing. Jesus is everything. I say all of this because we cannot limit our faith to believe that we only get one gift because it's reality. God gives the gifts. He gives many gifts. He decides who gets the gifts, what gifts they get. He even chooses how many gifts that you get. It's up to the Lord. And for some, he may give you a gift in a certain situation that you may not see later on in your life. Like as far as the gift of teaching, I can access the gift of teaching any time of the day. Just ask my wife. She asked me a question. I'm like, okay, here's, let me break this down. We're going to get to the Greek and the Hebrew, and we're, gonna, we're just going to do this. And we're lucky we're still married. But... Uh, the gift of teaching just comes naturally. It's, a, it's an easy gift I can tap into. The gift of healing and prophecy is completely different. It comes at different times when the Holy Spirit has a specific purpose. So just because you receive a gift at one time doesn't necessarily mean you will experience it again or because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that you won't experience it at some point in your life. Regardless of what gifts you have or will have, we need to remember it is the Holy Spirit at work within you. He is behind every gift to draw you deeper into a relationship with God, with the Father, through Jesus Christ, to draw you deeper into his heart so that not only are you built up, but that he can use you to build up the church, to strengthen the body of Christ. And so I want to kind of continue with this understanding of gifts, and I want to talk about probably one of the most debated gifts in all of Scripture. If you have any church experience, I'm sure this has come up at least at some point. And this gift is probably the one that divides people more than any other spiritual gift, and that is the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to cover a lot of other scripture, but we will end up landing there later on in the message. The verses will also be on the screen for you. And as well, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, you should be able to navigate to Vertical Live Church and the live events and access the sermon notes there. The scriptures will be recorded there for you. But let, let's pray before we dig in here. Holy Spirit, We've just, we've come, God, we've come in the name of Christ. We know you are here. Holy Spirit, lead us into the truth. Lord, there are many here, just like myself, who have come from traditions and backgrounds where some of this not only was just overlooked, but it was specifically taught against. God, we, we grow up in a world where the enemy is a liar. He is a schemer. He tries to work his way in the church to not only rob us of the truth, but rob us of the faith to follow you wherever you lead. To, to pursue, as Paul said, pursue 
the gifts of the Spirit, God, the enemy comes to try to rob us of the very things that you've ordained to build us up and strengthen us, God. And so we just declare today, your word is true, that nothing else we've heard or seen or experienced is true. We stand on the word of God, the unyielding truth of the word of God, and we ask you now to reach into our hearts and teach us, mold us, shape us. Reveal something new, God. Reveal us. Holy Spirit, lead us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2. This is the famous passage of Scripture, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a festival the nation of Israel celebrated every year. It was a command of God. And on the day of Pentecost, all the disciples were huddling up in a room. Jesus said, just before you ascended into heaven, go wait in Jerusalem. The Spirit's going to come upon you. He's going to rock your world, change your life, and you're going to do amazing things. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to turn the world upside down. So in Acts 2, the believers are kind of waiting in this room, kind of hiding out because people are angry at them, trying to kill them. There's all sorts of craziness happening because of what Jesus did in his resurrection. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. This is the miracle of Pentecost. This is the beginning of the prophetic revelation that the Old Testament prophets said that in the last days, God is going to pour out his Spirit. This is the moment where the believers go from being just saved believers to being baptized into the Holy Spirit believers. And we see a couple of things happen when this event happens. Not only was there a miracle, a mighty windstorm, because the name for the Holy Spirit also means wind or, or, or breath, There's wind, there's this miracle, these flames looking like tongues of fire come down to settle on them. Jesus said, I'm going to baptize you with fire and of the Holy Spirit. It's the fulfillment of the words of Christ. It says when they are baptized into the Spirit, they're also filled up with the Spirit at the same time, and they begin to manifest in spiritual gifts, namely the gift of speaking in tongues, or your translation may say other languages. This is the first moment recorded in biblical history in the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus where these spiritual gifts arise, these spiritual endowments arise with the disciples. Prior to the resurrection, Jesus gave authority. He sent people out. They did miracles. They cast out devils. This is the first time where Jesus wasn't around and this began to unfold. This was a very powerful moment. This is the moment the church was set on fire and began to set the world on fire. So speaking in tongues, languages, in this moment. Now, in this moment that happened on the day of Pentecost, it was a fulfillment of, again, Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and Israel was going through some difficult seasons. They were rebelling against God. God was bringing judgment to the land, and he prophesied something significant Paul, in the New Testament, quotes this prophecy of Isaiah in 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21, Paul writes this. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Again, the context of what Paul is talking about here is that Israel had hardened their hearts. 
They began to turn to other idols. They, they were not just worshiping other gods. They were literally re- like rebelling against God in their hearts. They were just religious in name, but they were not connected to God through their hearts. They scoffed at his word. They didn't believe his message. They ignored what he had to say. So God prophesied through Isaiah that through foreign or unknown tongues and stammering lips, God will call out to his people, to the nation of Israel, and call them to enter into his rest. This is found in Isaiah 28. So he calls out through people of other tongues to come into his rest. Come back to me, nation of Israel. Come back to me, people of God. Enter into my rest. And we know that this rest is fulfilled by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The rest that is to come. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest is fulfilled in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, the writer of Hebrews says that, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. The writer of Hebrews is saying that there's a rest still to come. Not only do we have rest for our souls in the here and now through our relationship with Jesus, but coming in eternity... When we go to be with God in heaven forever and forever and forever, there is an eternal rest that is still on its way. But if we follow the way Israel did, the path of Israel in Isaiah 28, we will see judgment just as they did. It is a call to trust in Christ, to follow his path, to receive his rest. So the invitation to the people of Israel was made, but they rejected God and thus the nation of Israel was judged. The Babylonians, the Assyrians came through, wiped out the nation, destroyed the cities, and led the people into captivity. But God said there will be a day when he calls his people back and invites them into that rest through those who speak in unknown languages. And we know that this moment in Acts chapter 2 is that invitation to come back to the Lord, to receive his rest And that rest, again, comes when Jesus returns to make all things new. So there was a significant fulfillment of prophecy happening here in Acts chapter 2, geared towards the nation of Israel, but using those with other tongues, unknown tongues, to call the people back into his rest. Another important thing to understand about the sign and miracle of speaking in tongues is that there was a moment in history, there was a time in world history where all of mankind only spoke one language. I mean, if God created Adam and Eve, he didn't create Adam speaking Spanish and Eve speaking Pig Latin, right? They spoke the same language. So at one point, all of the world spoke the same language. Even after the flood, God destroys the world, saves Noah and his family. There are eight people come off the ark. They are speaking the same language. So at one moment, everyone spoke the same language. But there came a point, even after the flood, where the sinfulness of man began to rear its ugly head and mankind began to rebel and turn away against God and make themselves into God. And in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, the Bible records a point of time where God says enough is enough and he separates the languages. The Tower of Babel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same languages and used the same words. As people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. 
They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky, and this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city. Jesus came down to see what they were doing. He says, in the tower where the people were building, verse 6, look, God said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. They stopped building the city, and this is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. In an instant, every nation, tribe, and tongue was created in a moment. When God came down and separated the tribes, separated the people into different languages. What's important here to understand and see how this relates to this gift of speaking in tongues is what God says in verse 6 in Genesis chapter 11. If we look at verse 6, here's what it says. God, this is God speaking. You have to put yourself in the situation. Here's this great city. Here's this, the, these people working together to build this city. And keep in mind, I don't believe that God was upset over a skyscraper. It just doesn't make sense. We have skyscrapers all over the world. There was something else significant happening. There was something motivating this creation. And if you do any, I mean, my wife kind of makes fun of me because my favorite uh, study or my favorite subject in high school was history. And she's beginning to homeschool the kids and they're going through history and they're all like, this is boring. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Come on, let's talk about this. Hieroglyphics, woo. All right, so my favorite subject was history. The thing is, is in world history, you can go back to this moment. There are other nations, other ancient tribes that talk about this same event. As a matter of fact, they say they were building the city not to build a skyscraper, but a stargate. And the intention was to go into heaven and kill God. That's the story. So though the Bible doesn't say that, if you look at extra biblical writings and nations, there are, there are legends around this same event where people were trying to overthrow God. To me, that makes a little bit more sense why God would be upset over a tower in a city. But look what God says in verse 6. He says, look, the people are united. They speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. This is why this verse is significant because God looks at the accomplishments. He looks at what they're doing and then he says, now that they have done this, what is the this that was so significant? He says, now that they've done this, whatever they do now, they will be able to accomplish whatever they want. Nothing will be withheld from them. They'll be able to do anything they put their mind to. Whatever they were doing at the Tower of Babel was so significant that God said, I have to stop this or nothing will stop them. That's pretty significant. And they were united in their language. So what does God do? He instantly creates multiple languages, separates people into other tongues. He confuses them so they can't work together anymore to stop the work to stop the work. 
They could accomplish anything because they were united in sin. And because sin was at the forefront of their minds, it meant that what they would accomplish together would be great evil in the world. So God confuses the languages. He puts a stop to their evil intentions. Now, if we go back to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. A different miracle occurs. A miracle separating the world into languages is an incredible miracle. In Acts chapter 2, a different miracle occurs. The tongues of fire settle. The mighty windstorm happens. The men begin to speak in other tongues. And in verse 5 of Acts chapter 2, it says, At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, the city where the disciples were. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in the areas of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. If you relate the two stories together, Babel and what happens here in Acts chapter 2. In Babel, because of evil, God divides the people through languages. But in Jerusalem, because of the work of Christ, God unites people through languages. Where one people, because of evil, were separated into many, now many people come together and become one in Jesus Christ. This is one of the most significant moments in all of the history of the world where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue hear the wonderful works of God declared and it caused them to wonder, what is going on? What is happening? And if you keep reading in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and delivers a powerful gospel message and over 3,000 people receive Christ in one day. It's amazing. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I wish I was there. One of the most significant things. And I have to wonder, if man could accomplish anything they wanted to, anything they put their mind to, when they were of one language, united in evil, what could the people of God accomplish being united in his holiness and being in one language, one spirit language? Now, we don't know exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2, how the gift unfolded. All we have is what the Bible told us. All we have is what the Bible says. So either they spoke one singular language and everyone heard their own language spoken at one time, or they spoke many languages, one right after the other. We don't really know. But what we do know is that when the Spirit came upon them, He gave them the utterance. He gave them the words to say, and they spoke. And what was uttered and understood were the languages of the world, were the languages of those present. Today, the title of this message and and the idea that we're nailing down here is the Spirit of God is also God's translator. When it pertains to the gift of speaking in tongues, the Spirit of God is God's translator. He is both the one who gives the words that declare the wondrous works of God And he is the one that gives the interpretation so that man may stand in awe and in wonder 
of who God is. The Spirit of God is God's translator. Now, there are many misgivings in the church. Again, in church history, there are different sides of the coin, different ways to believe. But there are many misgivings in the church to what the role of tongues should have in a church gathering, which has been a question and a debate that's gone on for over 2,000 years. Paul addresses this heavily in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which we're going to examine today. But one of the things I want to remind you is that tongues is a gift of the Spirit. Tongues is a gift of the Spirit. And two, it is a gift that Paul says will continue until we see Jesus face to face, until we're transformed. It is a good thing. And what Paul reveals to us is that there is more than one use for this gift or more than one manifestation of this gift that we uh, see in the Scripture and then what we see by and large. What we experience as we attend different churches, and some you'll see speaking in tongues, what you see there is primarily the secondary use of the gift rather than the primary use of the gift. The primary use of the gift of tongues is what we read in Acts chapter 2. And we can see all this throughout the rest of Scripture. If you read the book of Acts, you can see this in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, verse 46, and Acts chapter 19, verse 6. When the Spirit of God comes, they begin to speak in tongues. Other signs of the filling of the Spirit or baptism in the Spirit are prophesying and preaching the word in boldness and the like. But the primary purpose for the gift is that speaking in tongues is a sign. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, he tells us, so you see, speaking to the church of Corinth, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And again, this verse, I I used to quote this verse to try to dismantle people's view on on speaking in tongues. But when we understand the context of what's happening in Acts 2, we can understand what Paul is getting at. The gift of tongues stands as a sign that the offer to enter into God's rest has come. None of the other Jews from all the other nations and tribes were believers in Jesus Christ. They, they were there in one place, but they didn't know that, that really that what Jesus had done, what he had accomplished, and now they could become right with God through believing in his sacrifice. So the gift of tongues came to stand as a sign to these unbelievers that the gift or the promise that God would send someone to invite them back into God's rest would come. This is the primary reason, the primary manifestation. It's the evidence that not only the Spirit of God has come, but the kingdom of God has come, and all who choose Christ will be saved. It is a sign. Enter into the rest of the Lord. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The secondary purpose of the gift is the one we're probably more familiar with, and it is the edification or the building up of the believer. The secondary purpose is for the edification or the building up of the believer. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul writes, just after writing about love, he says, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Again, let love be the goal, but desire the gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. Again, these gifts aren't something we should shun or avoid. It's something we should earnestly desire, pursue. Verse two, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. 
You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So what Paul's doing here, he's not saying speaking in tongues is wrong. He's juxtaposing the purpose or intention of two different spiritual gifts. And the reason why he's doing this is because the church of Corinth was jacked up. The church of Corinth, they, were, they had all sorts of wacky practices and beliefs and things that Paul had to correct. And so as I shared last week, one of their problems was they had an issue with favoritism. That they were literally against one another. If you had the gift of prophecy, well, I'm better than you. You got the gift of tongues. Well, you're just a servant. Well, I'm a healer. You know, they had this back and forth, and they got to a place where they wanted to elevate themselves and find ways to show how super Christian they were. Look at me. I'm super Christian. I can do these amazing, wonderful things. They began self-promoting and seeking platforms to show how amazing they were. And we know from our study last week is that the gifts of the Spirit are given so that we can help each other, build each other up, help each other experience God's love to edify and encourage one another, not to be self-centered and self-promoting. If we do not have love, no matter what we can do, it is meaningless, Paul tells us. If we have not love, self-centered, self-seeking from self-promotion is not the intention of spiritual gifts. And you know what? God spoke to me this week. We have a problem with this in our churches today too. We have our issue, and it's not really in the realm of spiritual gifts. It's in the realm of self-seeking and self-promoting church attendance. People go to church, to church, to church, looking for what the church can do for me, what, how I can be built up. We say things like, I need to get fed And if I'm not being fed, if I'm not getting what I want, if I'm not being built up and encouraged the way I feel like I need to, well, I'll just go to the next place and see if they can feed me better, if they can build me up better, if they can encourage me better. When Paul says the gathering of the church isn't so that you can shine, it's so that everyone else can shine, so Jesus can shine through you. This is why people have a hard time committing to to a ministry or sacrificing to serve and getting up early when everyone else is sleeping in and staying late when everyone else is going to bed early is because at the core of our issue isn't that a church doesn't have what I need. The core of the issue is God doesn't have your whole heart. That's the issue. And in this church, it was manifesting in their favoritism of spiritual gifts. And in our churches, it has to do with, well, this church is cooler because they have this, this, and that. Paul is saying, look, when we gather together, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's about what God can do through each and every one of us if we give our gifts and use our gifts to strengthen one another. Paul here is not saying that we should not speak in tongues. What he's telling us is that if you have the gift of tongues and if you are speaking in tongues before the church for everyone to hear, like being on the platform as a pastor, in our case, going to the microphone to to declare a word over the church, is that if you are declaring your tongues before everyone, no one else knows what you're saying. So the only one receiving the benefit is you. And the intention when we gather together is not just to strengthen ourselves, it's to strengthen everyone else. So he's trying to break down these barriers of what they were doing, uh, these barriers of self-promotion and and the way that they were really dishonoring God in their gifts rather than 
honoring gifts. And he uses prophecy because prophecy is a public declaration everyone understands and everyone can see and hear that God is in this place. Matter of fact, later in the chapter, he says, when one person prophesies and someone here who doesn't believe is in your church gathering, they will hear the inner workings of their heart brought to truth. They will recognize that God is in this place and they will glorify Jesus. So the intention is to glorify Jesus by building up and ministering one another, not focusing on what we can do to build up ourselves. Again, he's not saying speaking in tongues are bad and wrong. In verse uh, 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says he wishes everyone would speak in tongues. In verse 18, he thanks God that he speaks in tongues more than anyone else. And in verse 39, a verse that kind of rocked my whole understanding of this issue when I read it the first time. He says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. I used to preach against this. I used to argue against this. And then I read this, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And I recognized that's exactly what I was doing. That's exactly what I was doing. There are many churches and many pastors just by their stance on the spiritual gifts or their condescending attitude towards the gifts of the Spirit are forbidding the people in their churches to speak in tongues because they're putting up barriers and roadblocks preventing them from doing it. And there are many Christians who, because they don't understand the gift and it makes them a little uncomfortable, they avoid it. They run from it. They say, I would never go to a church where people speak in tongues. When Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it is a good thing and he wished everyone would do it. That is something that we have to wrestle with. And the question is, why would Paul wish everyone spoke in tongues? What is it behind Paul's wish? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. We already read this verse. But here he says it. He says, a person who speaks in tongues is what? Strengthened, personally. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Have you ever been in a season where you needed to be strengthened? Have you ever been in a season where it just feels like discouragement is the clothes you wear on your back and you needed to be encouraged and built up? I know I have. If you've never been in a place where you've needed encouragement, you're a robot. You're not human. We all need encouragement. We will all go through seasons where we need encouragement. And the primary purpose of tongues was to be for a sign, but the secondary purpose of the gift of tongues is to encourage and build up the individual believer, the one who speaks. And how does speaking in tongues do this? How does this happen? It's very, very simple. When you're speaking in tongues, you are connected directly to the Holy Spirit, and He is working through you to intercede through prayer for other people. And when the presence of the Spirit is upon you, and the ministry of the Spirit is flowing within you, it draws you deeper into the Father's heart, and you experience His presence, and in the presence of God, there is love, joy, peace, encouragement, and strength which is why the Spirit wants to draw us into the Father's heart because that's where we will find the help that we need. Go boldly before the throne of grace. Go boldly before the very presence of God for in that place you will find mercy and help that you need in the time of trouble. 
the more we engage our spirit with the Holy Spirit and we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the more we will experience the Father's heart in our lives. And Paul knew the importance of speaking in tongues and this gift of the Spirit, not just for the betterment of the individual believer, but also for the church as a whole because all gifts are given to build up and strengthen the church. And Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 6, this is the spiritual warfare chapter. This is where Paul tells the church, put on all the armor of God that you might be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes shod with the gospel of peace. Bear up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is a chapter that we, we preach, we, we rally under. But right after he talks about putting on the armor of God so that you can stand against the enemy, he says something significant in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is a call to intercessory prayer, intercession for the church, and not just our local church, but the church corporately all around the world. Now, I just have to ask, do you agree with Paul that we should be alert, we should stay alert and pray for believers everywhere? Do you agree with that? That we should, we should pray, okay? Is it important that we lift each other up in prayer? Right? One of our core values at Vertical Life Church is unceasing prayer. Pray without ceasing. So it's important to stay alert and pray for other believers. It's important to lift each other up in prayer, to be mindful of the battles that we face and our brothers and sisters in Christ face all around the world. So of course, that's important. And if that is important, and that is the second part of this verse, stay alert and be persistent, then what Paul said at the beginning of the verse is also important. And what does he say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18? Read it with me. He says, pray in the spirit and in all times and on every occasion. Pray in the spirit. So I was having a discussion with a guy here recently that didn't believe in speaking in tongues, wouldn't ever go to a church where someone spoke in tongues. He's like, ah, it's not for me. There's a bunch of wackadoo. And I mean, I just related with him on so many levels because I used to feel the same way. And so as we were having this discussion, I asked him a question. I said, do you believe, and I took him to this verse, Ephesians 6.18. I said, do you believe God inspired Paul to write this verse? Do you believe the Bible's inspired God? God wrote it through human authors. He's like, yes. Yes, I believe God inspired this. I was like, okay. So I said, so what Paul wrote here is from God, not really from Paul. And he's like, yes. I said, okay, so should we pray and stay alert and, and pray for all believers. And he's like, yes, just like I asked you. It's like, okay. Then I said, so should we pray in the spirit, as Paul said? And he said, yes. And I said, should we pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, as Paul said? And he said, yes. I was like, okay. So you believe this. You believe we should do this. So let me ask you, do you believe we should pray in the spirit? Yes. Okay. How do you pray in the spirit. How do you do it? Paul doesn't say right here, but the question is, how do you, if we are to pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, how do you do this? And he looked at me with this, this little grin. He's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I was like, I know you don't. Neither did I for a long time. I didn't know. 
But we agree we should do it, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, well, let's look at just what the Bible says. Let's look at something else Paul wrote. Because Paul wrote this, Ephesians 6. Let's look at something Paul wrote in a 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. And see, as I was bringing him to this passage, the reality is, is that when you have this position, you have it made up in your mind, I know what the Bible teaches. So often we miss what the Bible actually says because we're so married to our positions. And I would beg to believe that the majority of people who do not believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today could answer the question either, how do you pray in the Spirit? They can't answer it. Why? Because they've not been looking for the answer. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. Read it with me. For if I pray in my is, let's read it again. For if I pray in my is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Pray in the Spirit. How do I pray in the Spirit? For if I pray in tongues. My spirit is praying. He's telling us in the word of God from the very hand of the apostle under the inspiration of the scripture, when we pray in tongues, we are praying in the spirit. And when we pray in the spirit, we don't know what we're saying. We don't know what we're saying, but our spirit is praying. And part of the miracle, the reason why we know this is a gift of God and a miracle is because though our spirit is praying, we are also praying in and through the Holy Spirit, who according to Acts chapter 2 tells us it is the spirit that gives us the utterance, gives us the words, the very words that we are to say. And this is important to understand, to wrap your mind around, because speaking in tongues really is a dance between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. It is a dance between our spirit and the Holy Spirit. The spirit leads our spirit in and what to pray and what is produced is a language no one else can understand. In Romans chapter eight, verses 26 through 27, this is also Paul writing to the church of Rome. Here's what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is the gift of tongues for? To strengthen the believer. He says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. When we are praying in tongues, when we are praying in the Spirit, we are praying along with the Holy Spirit who is not only leading us, he's also interceding for us and through us. And yet, as he's interceding through us, he is communicating with our Heavenly Father in prayer according to God's perfect will on our behalf based on what we're praying for. It is a dance. As we participate, as he leads, we participate. Praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit is also, in my view, arguably one of the most effective forms of prayer. It's one of the most powerful ways to pray because you will never get your ask wrong. You'll never get it wrong. James, in the book of James, he says sometimes when we pray for things, we don't get what we pray for because we're asking amiss. We're actually asking out of our selfish and sinful nature. 
We're not really asking according to God's will. We're asking to our sinful nature so that we can fulfill the lusts of our flesh. Have you ever gotten to a place in your life, you're praying for something and then time goes by and you don't get it, but then you wake up and realize, oh, I'm so thankful God didn't answer that prayer. I mean, many times I've prayed for things and I'm like, oh, I'm glad that didn't go that way because I am really enjoying what God brought me into today. I'm so thankful. Sometimes we ask for things and later realize we appreciate God didn't answer the prayer. Why do we pray like that? Because sometimes we are praying praying in the flesh. Sometimes we're just asking things out of our our flesh, our self-centeredness, our selfishness, our, our praying out of things that we don't really understand the ramifications of what we're asking for. But when we pray in the Spirit... And the Spirit is praying through us. He is praying according to the perfect will of God. And we will never miss the mark, which means we will always get what we ask for. Because God is the one who's actually doing the praying. It is a beautiful dance. Speaking in tongues is a gift we should not shun nor reject. It is one that we should embrace, earnestly desire, Paul says, because it draws us deeper into the Father's heart. It aligns our spirit with his spirit. It builds up, strengthens, and encourages us, giving us the strength to overcome the discouragement we face each and every day. And as we encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will increase in faith and be able to honor God so much the more. Now, some might argue that the gift of tongues, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 14, and what happened in Acts 2 are two different things. Because in Acts 2, everyone heard them speak in their own language. And in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, tongues or the unknown language is something no one else knows is being said. And some continuationists, those that believe the gifts or the spirit are for today, they will argue that it's a heavenly language or the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 is a prayer language and they may be correct. They, they may be, it's the, they believe it's kind of like a second gift. There's more than one gift of tongues. They may be correct in that because this gift is a form of prayer and it is used in intercession. But what I see just from scripture about the gift of tongues is number one, the spirit is the one that gives the utterance. The Spirit is the one that tells us what to say. We do not know what language or languages the person speaks when they speak in tongues. We have no idea. And I believe, just from what the Bible says, the disciples in Acts 2 didn't know what languages they were speaking either. But what the Bible does say is that God has named every star. Think about this for a minute. Think about the infinity amount of stars. They find new stars all the time in space. There are more stars in the sky, in the galaxy, in the universe than we have words in every language of the world. There are more stars than we have words in the earth. So it is very possible and very likely since there are more names of stars than there are words that we have in all the languages of the world that God knows more languages than we do. And it was God in Genesis chapter 11 that invented all the languages anyways. It's out of the mind of God. So what we know is that it is a language or they are languages. We just may not know what languages they are. Some may be understood by someone who speaks the same language in the earth and someone may not be understood. Some of the language spoken in Acts 2 were understood because people that lived in those native lands were there present to hear them speak. There are multiple nations that were present, so they understood And they understood the exact moment the Spirit wanted those languages to be understood. 
Other instances, again, you can read through the book of Acts, we're told that believers spoke in tongues, but there's no indication that anyone knew what was being said. So it's possible that the same event that happened in Acts 2 is the same event that we're experiencing now. It just depends on who's in the moment, who is in that place to hear the language. And what we understand by these other instances where people didn't understand or potentially didn't understand the languages, it was a more personal place where everyone in there spoke the same language. So when the tongues came, of course, they would not understand what was being said. But secondly, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that not only is there a gift of tongues, but there's also a gift of interpretation that the Spirit gives. And that when it's necessary, the one who has the tongue can share and the person, either the one sharing or someone else, will receive the interpretation and be able to share the interpretation of what is being said. So what is said can be known. That way everyone can be encouraged and strengthened in the church gathering. And additionally, Paul says that if there's no one to interpret or no interpretation can be given, then the one with tongues should keep their tongues to themselves because in the church gathering, it's about building up everyone, not just your personal strengthening, not to distract away from what God is doing to corporately encourage everyone in the worship gathering. So what this says to me and my understanding is, is that there will be times when people will understand those who are speaking in tongues. I have heard of stories of missionaries who have gone overseas and their car broke down and they were in a really rough area and these two guys came over that had guns. They thought, okay, our goose is cooked, we're, we're in trouble. And the guys came over and started talking to their guide and started asking them questions. Of course, they didn't understand what was being said and, and they just started you know, talking to the guy. And, and the two guys with guns looked over at the interpreter and said, how did they know our language? It was an unreached people group. And they're like, how did they know our language? And we're like, we were talking English. We don't know what you're saying. You know, so the Holy Spirit has a way in miraculous fashion to bring interpretation and use this gift in multiple ways. So there will be times people will understand the gift. There'll be times when they don't. And the times that it is understood, it is to stand as a sign to unbelievers that the invitation to enter into the rest of God through trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior has come. And that is the primary purpose. But the secondary purpose, which is more common for us in the experience that we experience in churches today, is that the gift stands as a personal prayer language meant to build up, strengthen, and encourage the believer as a partner with the Holy Spirit through intercessory prayer. That is the understanding of Scripture. And again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, to let your love be the highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. And it's my understanding, my belief, that the Holy Spirit will not tell us to earnestly desire a gift we cannot ourselves receive, nor one he intends to use. There is no, that is not my gift. I hear this all the time from people. They're like, well, I've never done that, so that must not be my gift. There's no such thing as that. If you seek the Spirit, you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, you will experience the gifts of the Spirit. He is faithful. And speaking in tongues is one of those gifts. This should be a gift that we seek and implement every day in our life as Paul encouraged us to pray in the Spirit. And I just want to say that once you get a gift, once you receive a gift of the Spirit, you don't become an instant professional. That'd be like my 10-year-old son signing up for football and wanting to be drafted into the NFL. It just doesn't work that way. It takes time. It takes a cultivation, a growth process. 2 Timothy 1.6 Here's what Paul tells his protege, Timothy. 
He says, this is why I remind you, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. So Paul laid his hands on Timothy. He prophesied over him. Timothy receives a spiritual gift. And Paul says, fan it into flame. Why did he say fan it into flame? It's because when you receive a spiritual gift, it doesn't start as a roaring fire. It starts as a spark. And God intends to raise you up, to grow you, to build your faith through the gifts of the Spirit. And the way we fan our gifts into flame is not by avoiding them or being afraid of them or being afraid of what others may think of them or just waiting on the Holy Spirit to force us to use them because the Spirit will never do that. And it's a partnership. It's not a hostile takeover. But the way we fan our gifts into flame is by looking for opportunities to use the gifts, stepping out in faith, and using them as much as possible. For healing, if we want to see the gift of healing, then we better step out and lay hands on the sick and pray for healing. If we want to prophesy, then when God lays something on our heart to declare, uh, then we need to declare that in faith that it is God speaking through us. If we want to speak in tongues, we need to seek the Holy Spirit. And when he begins to move in our life, we need to release what he lays on our hearts through our mouth and into the air. And the more we use our gifts, the more we learn about them, the more we understand them, the greater the fire will burn. And so now the question becomes, when and if we receive the gift of tongues and start walking in this gift, what role does it play in the church? Or more importantly, what role does it play in our church? Because Paul does set up some pretty clear guidelines in 1 Corinthians 14. He doesn't want the church being balled up into a big mess causing confusion and running people off. God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. And when we're all about how spiritual we are and we're not considering one another in love using our gifts, we fall prey to Satan's schemes. So how do we honor God with a gift that tends to push people away? And the knee-jerk reaction is that, well, if there's no interpreter, then the person should just stay quiet and keep it to themselves, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 28. And I would agree, except Paul doesn't say keep quiet. He says keep it to themselves. And I would ask the question, is that how do you know someone has the interpretation without someone speaking in tongues? It takes both. It takes a speaker and an interpreter. And I would argue that for our worship gathering, Paul is merely addressing someone addressing the whole church, not just praying in their seat or when the worship is happening, singing and praying in tongues, that he's addressing a public address. You know, it might shock some of you to know or to find out that I often... While I'm on stage, while we're leading worship, or just before I walk out uh, to preach, often pray in the Spirit to encourage and build myself up. Because I will tell you, many times there is attack happening, and there's discouragement happening, and I need as much strengthening as I can to come out and use my gifts to build up the church. Tongues has a place. Praying in the Spirit has a place. It's not that a person who speaks in tongues cannot speak in tongues while they're gathering for worship. Paul doesn't say that either. It's how and the intention behind you use it. So again, if no one speaks in tongues, how can someone rise up in their gift to interpret? You can't. God might want to use someone to interpret so that everyone can be built up and edified. So the people that speak in tongues need a platform, need to be able to speak so here's my understanding of my recommendation as a pastor of Vertical Life Church is that since Paul specifically says, do not forbid speaking in tongues, then it is our responsibility to encourage it. We are to encourage it. 
So let me encourage all of you who have the gift and those of you that are seeking the Spirit, who are responding to what God is doing through this series, and you're pursuing the spiritual gifts, and you receive the gift of speaking in tongues. When we gather for worship, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. When we sing, worship in tongues. Engage with the Holy Spirit the entire time you are here. Usher in and help us usher in the very presence of God. Jesus said, if we're going to worship, let's do it in spirit and in truth. We need to engage our spirit with the Holy Spirit the entire time. And through the practice of your gift there in your seat during the worship, someone might receive the interpretation to what you're saying. At that time, at the end of the service, whenever we open it up to, for open share and the microphone is available, I would ask that you come up and let me know. God has laid a, a word on your heart to speak in tongues and someone else has given the interpretation or I have the interpretation of what is said and we will allow in accordance to the word of God you to use your gift to build up and encourage the church because it's important that we do that, ensuring we follow the apostles' instructions. But again, the goal of every gift is not to shine a light on who we are. It's not to make something big out of ourselves. It's in everything we do to make sure love is at the center and that we are building up and strengthening one another. And the Spirit of God will never give a gift that doesn't lead us deeper into the Father's heart, and he will never give a gift that is not intended to strengthen the entire church. And I believe God has much he wants to say to us. You believe that? You believe God is alive, that he's real, that the spirit is working and moving and he does miraculous things? I believe that. I believe he has a lot he wants to say and he's just waiting for the church in our church to have the faith to receive it and then release it through spiritual gifts. Let's bow for prayer as we go into the time of response. Lord, I know that for some, and I know in my own life, that these subjects are hard, sometimes they're uncomfortable. And even as we discuss them, the enemy through a spirit of fear can get us all anxiety-ridden and, and, and just kind of fearful of, of what might begin to happen if the spirit begins to move and work in people's lives. And so God, I just speak against every spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. And God, I just pray now against every oppressive force that would try to hinder the work of the Spirit in our lives. And I say, Holy Spirit, come and do your work. I say, Spirit, come. Come in fullness. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Build our faith. Begin to work through the spiritual gifts. Confirm the message of the gospel through signs and wonders. We need you to be in power in our lives. God, do not let us fear using our gifts. You've given them for a purpose. It is to strengthen and build us up. God, don't let us fear what you might do because you know it only draws us into your heart. God, I just speak against fear of, fear of man, fear of embarrassment, fear of the unknown. God, I speak against all of that because in your presence is perfect love, peace, joy. Everything we need is found in your presence. So, Lord, as we wrestle with these issues, as we begin to seek the Spirit, seek the spiritual gifts, God, I pray that you would be faithful and answer, trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and the promises found in your word. God, we submit ourselves to you. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray you draw every heart. You begin to breathe new life into the church. Let us come alive. Revive our hearts now in the name of Jesus.